0: and welcome back to butter with that a movies podcast on movie john and it's hosted by a few of your favorite philadelphians i'm here with my uh, co-hosts christine connor and dave and we are continuing and wrapping up our conversations around um directors we think you should keep an eye on um so before we get into my pick who spoiler alert is ryan johnson um i want to check in with everybody and see you know how you're doing and if you've watched anything notable lately
1: uh i got around to seeing tenant oh how was that um that uh <coughs> chris nolan's most uh recent offering that um a pretty interesting well, there's a lot. I, it's it's very involved. I mean, you know, Chris Nolan. has no surprise there. But one thing that did surprise me was that, um, as listeners of the show may recall, I am uh, not much of a fan of a lot of Nolan's recent work, especially in the sense that it is often a complex story overburdened by expository dialogue and an over explanation, especially from characters in non-diagenic ways. By contrast, I think this did a great job of uh, not giving you much information or or like, you know, it's information being sewn inappropriately through exposition, but not being the driving force of its dialogue the entire time, which is often what I struggle with with his other films. So I think it, it was really him kind of stepping back and telling a complex story with the knowledge that he could perhaps be more trusting of his audience, given his reputation and relying a little more heavily on his very impressive directorial chops when it comes to composing and executing complicated action set pieces. So I thought as the whole, it was uh, definitely worth a look and a uh, really interesting movie, especially from someone whose work I haven't been as fond of recently.
0: I remember, I think Tori saw that and she was like, I didn't like it. So it, it's interesting to hear. Oh, this. really?
2: Hmm. I,
0: I think, uh, Tori, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting you.
2: I believe she also saw it at the uh, Navy Yard Drive-In, which apparently I've heard from a few people is one of the worst viewing experiences. Oh, you can, no. You can set up. That probably didn't help. I watched a relatively new comedy called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, uh, starring Kristen Wiig and Annie um, Momolo, and it was absolutely delightful. It was not at all what I thought it'd be, what I thought was sort of like something in the vein of like Bridesmaids or a Wolf Ferrell movie, uh, something where like a bunch of SNL people come together and there's generally it's pretty funny, but it's not necessarily sometimes the most memorable movie, but this just like veers off into so many different directions and just throws a lot at the wall. And I think a lot of it um, was pretty successful and a movie I definitely want to revisit. So I don't want to talk about it much because part of the fun is just discovering the roller coaster ride that is Barb, uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Um, but um the guy who was in Fifty Shades of Grey, Jamie Dornan, I think that's his name, uh, he absolutely kills it. Um, and he's one of the best parts of the movie. So definitely big two thumbs up for Barb and Star going to to Mr.
3: Delmar. I'm so happy you saw it. I think I paid like $17 to, to watch it. I was like, I think it was like, I saw it, I think like two months ago. And I was like, I need something to like, lift my spirits and nothing that is available to watch is gonna like lift my spirits and I was like you know what hell with it I'm gonna like act like I'm going to the theaters to see this stupid movie and it just did everything it was supposed to so much joy Reba McIntyre makes an appearance
2: Yeah, Dave, does she show up in Tenet? Does Reba show up in Tenet? Reba
3: doesn't show up in every project. She picks her projects very carefully. (laughs) Um, The only thing I've been watching is uh, Mission Impossible. So I'm on number five. Just watched five. I only have six left. Preparation for seven. Yeah. So uh, great as usual. Nothing else to say about it. Tom Cruise gave back his Golden Globes. Big whoop. It's like, dude, you're probably trying to cover your own ass. For like, you try trying to get ahead of a scandal so a scandal doesn't follow you. Big whoop, you gave back your Golden Globes. I, I feel like
2: Tom Cruise is nearly scandal-proof.
3: Like, like because he sends, like, bunt cakes to everyone in Hollywood. Well, I think
2: really that, matter. and I think the public just will never turn on him. I don't know what it would take.
3: Murder. I think it would, Take another Scientology documentary because the first one was about to take him down. <laughs> but
2: but he's still like one of the top grossing actors ever.
3: I think we probably need a whole butter with that episode just to focus on Tom. Are we doing um, a Tom Cruise month? No. Yeah, Yeah, you guys probably would not want to. <laughs> I would. i be game
2: for it. <laughs> but. <laughs> I think I saw Sam die. <laughs> 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 she, she stared off camera. I saw a bit of her soul
3: we could do a little bit of every Tom, like David. A little bit of Tom, mag- like P.T. Anderson Magnolia Tom. I can't I could do, do it. That's too much. Tom.
2: <laughs> we already did Edge of Tomorrow, which is my favorite Tom Cruise movie. Yeah,
3: that's right. Really- Anywho, Tom on the mind. Glad to see we're all kind of keeping to our
0: patterns, keeping with the things that just make us happy. <laughs> um, speaking of things that make us happy, this director and this movie certainly do for me. So, um, for our director spotlight, I picked Ryan Johnson, specifically his movie Knives Out. Um, Knives Out came out in 2019. It's written and directed by Ryan Johnson, and it stars Daniel Craig and. Um, a bunch of other people my goodness uh, everybody every, literally everybody including the absolute true love of my life chris evans also anna de Armas, christopher Plummer, uh, jimmy lee curtis don johnson tony collette michael shannon and more i just didn't feel like typing and reba
2: and then,
3: who knew the cameo reba as nana <laughs> reba in a lot of makeup as nana yeah but you can still tell it's her. Um,
0: (laughs) so despite all of these really well-known actors, um, this movie had a budget of $40 million and at the box office, it made 311 million worldwide. So V much a success. Um, knives out is Johnson's Fifth feature film, other credits to his name: *Looper* in 2012, the and the controversial *Star Wars* sequel *The Last Jedi* from 2017. Uh, Johnson and *Knives Out* were nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, lost to Bong Joon-ho for *Parasite*. Understandable. Uh, however, Johnson did take home the Philadelphia. Film Critics Circle Award for Best Film and Best Screenplay in 2019 for Knives Out. So, an award-winning director for this movie. Um, And this past March, Netflix paid like an absurd amount of money, nearly $500 million, for the rights to two Knives Out sequels. Uh, Janelle Monae has just signed on as part of the cast, joining uh, Daniel Craig, who will be reprising his role as one of the main characters, Benoit Blanc. (laughs)
2: Um. The uh Ed Norton and Dave Batista also recently joined Knives Out too
3: I love Dave Batista. Like he I'm watching him in everything he does. <laughs> Except for the new Zack Snyder movie. I will not watch him in that. <laughs> I'm so excited.
2: We should have a bell every time we bring up Zack Snyder.
3: Yeah, honestly,
0: at this point, it's already it's it's Yeah, it's already happened. Gosh, we're what, like 15 minutes in? (laughs) We've done it. Um, Everyone who, like the person who does it has to like take a shot or something. Um, Anyway, okay. So Ryan Johnson, why did I pick this dude? Um, I knew it was going to be a controversial pick. Um, I mostly did it because uh, I I love Knives Out, but also I think that Ryan Johnson is... um, really underappreciated, and I don't understand the hate that he received for The Last Jedi. I mean, people were just absolutely relentless, um, particularly on Twitter. I mean, people were so bad on Twitter that they bullied some of the actors off of social media completely, including um, Kelly Marie Tran. Um, the, The movie itself, I think, is in my personal opinion, the best of the sequels. But Knives Out was really Ryan Johnson's, and I I used this to describe it before, but his um, Phoenix rising from the ashes moment. And I really think it was like a good slap to the face of everybody who was critiquing him for no good reason there are reasons to critique the last jedi and i'm not pretending there's not but some of the ways that ryan johnson was just dra- dragged through the mud i just could not understand um so really happy that he had such success with knives out and i think that's a combination of a good a good script and a good cast and so um i know that i think everybody here has seen the movie already. This is no one's first go around. Um, so what do we think? Uh, maybe your second, third watching. What are your thoughts on this movie?
2: Uh, Knives Out is a movie I absolutely adore. And I think life in the pandemic has only made me appreciate it more uh, because I saw this movie, I think in like early December of 2019. So like just after Thanksgiving, went with a big group of friends to the the new AMC that opened downtown at the galleries. So fancy seating, you know, bars there. And that was just a really fun movie to watch with people in an audience. And then I've seen it a few more times um, on home video, you know, streaming home video. (laughs) Home
0: video, what the fuck? (laughs)
2: Um, And then the, right as the kind of pandemic, or right before it's kicking off, uh, former guests in front of the show, Alana and I, did a double feature of Clue and Knives Out. Um, which was an absolute and it was my first time ever seeing Clue that night. Um, so I have a lot of really fun memories of Knives Out, which is which works great because it's also a phenomenal film um on so many levels. And I think a lot of that goes to Ryan Johnson. So I was really excited that you picked him and picked this movie because I think there's a lot to go through. Um, I had seen it
1: once around the time that it came out, and um, having been really excited for it via its trailer and uh, understanding the ensemble cast that had been assembled to, to bring this project to the fore and to bring it to fruition. I was really excited about it, and then found my first watch of the film to be pretty underwhelming. I kind of walked away ultimately pretty disappointed. And frankly, I'm not much of a whodunit fan as a genre. To be honest, it, it you know normally doesn't really do it too much for me, so I think maybe I went in with over-heightened expectations. Um, so, in watching it in preparation for this episode, uh, the second time, I kind of went into it thinking, like, "All right, Ryan Johnson. I, uh, all right, I guess we'll be you know. Well, why don't I take a look at this movie again, maybe with a you know uh, more fine tooth comb?" And I found it to be ultimately a, a great deal more rewarding the second time, and really, really found myself enjoying it uh, quite a lot. Um, I think Johnson's an interesting director because Sam, as you mentioned, and this is why I figured it would come up, and why I figured it was your choice, was because of the Last Jedi and the sort of as you discussed, a ridiculous whirlwind of, of of backlash that he encountered for that. But also, I think a lot of people maybe uh, don't know his work too well. I, I didn't until this week researching it. And like, he'd also was responsible for, and, and I think probably a lot of people who were critical of his work before weren't aware of this, is that he, he was responsible for probably the most iconic Breaking Bad episode. Uh, he oversaw a direction of uh, Ozdi Mandeas, the third to last episode of the series, which is often considered like one of the most captivating 45 minutes to an hour of television drama ever, uh, which I would pretty roundly agree with. That's an insane episode. Um, so seeing his his chops applied here in a way that didn't have as much stakes via like the victory of Breaking Bad uh, or, or depending upon whom you ask, the quote unquote failure of The Last Jedi, which by the way, I don't agree with. I think it's a great movie. Um, th- this really kind of, gave me a much clearer insight into his kind of sense of directorial vision, the things that he considers to be important to storytelling and the ways in which he frames uh, characters and situations cinematically via his his, his editing, his pacing, and his uh, kind of attention to really ornate and really lavish and uh, transportive uh, sets and and camera angles and movements. So... I found him to be technically a very uh, impressive director, especially via this movie. Um, So I'm looking forward to getting into some of the nitty gritty of it, and definitely enjoyed it a lot more the second time around. So uh, thumbs up for me.
3: All right, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I uh, saw the uh, Knives Out in theaters, and it was a really fun theater experience. The whole I love going to a movie when you can tell like everyone's jazzed to be there, and like people are like having a good time during the movie. So had a wonderful theater experience watching it. And then the rewatch was interesting because I had forgotten. Like, I remember enjoying it. But then, I like, starting the movie again, I was like, wait, 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 wait. I don't remember who did it. (laughs) And I don't remember how it was done. And so it was kind of a nice rewatch because I I still was trying to put all the pieces together, even though I had already seen this movie. Um, I think it's such a fun... Ensemble cast movie. It's a wonderful homage to the Who Done It, and you can tell Ryan Johnson loves this genre and loves the structures that go into creating like a fun and uh, engaging detective story, and also creating these like larger than life characters. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's like it, it's it's definitely a really a really fun watch. I think something that I was sort of thinking about after the first watch and was thinking about continuing to think about after the second watch was like, I, like, I thought Anna de Armas, her performance is so wonderful. She captures the perfect balance of strength and warmth, like, and that's sort of this thread, this through line, like she's so, she's the antithesis of these other characters where it's like she, her, she acts on like sort of, yeah, we've compassion and, and she, she's on this other like energy wavelength from all the other greedy characters. Um, I still think I am trying to think about how much agency she has throughout the movie. Um, I, I, I think the ending is, is a really interesting ending because like, it seems like throughout the whole movie, things are constantly done to her and, And the way that Ryan Johnson has written the screenplay, it's very intentional. Uh, But I think ultimately, I don't know if he does total service and justice to her character because I wanted, I think a little bit more, I wanted some more key moments where she felt like she had more age, like it felt like her character has more agency in certain situations. Um, But uh, like still within the context of, it's like, it's like I think he already set the bar. <laughs> it's such a fun movie. And because he incorporates sort of political messages and thinking about like racism, immigration, class, it's like, he's asking us to ask those questions within the context of a really fun whodunit. And so it's like, how much do I need to ask really at the end of the day, but I'm still asking these, I don't know. At the end of the day though, it's, it's a, it's a really fun watch. It like, I, I did another one of those watches, like G chatting with friends through it. And it's just a fun thing to just a fun ride to go along with, uh, folks. So it'll be a fun movie to continue returning to. And I'm looking forward to the sequel.
0: Thanks, Christine. Thanks everybody. Christine, I'm so happy you brought up the, the political side of this because that's definitely something I want to return to. Um, but, uh, For those of you at home, let me give you a little short synopsis of what Knives Out actually is. So what you can already tell so far, it's uh, your classic whodunit. Um, I stole this synopsis from Google. So God bless Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the synopsis is: the circumstances surrounding the death of crime novelist Harlan Thrombey are mysterious. But there's one thing that renowned detective Benoit Blanc knows for sure: everyone in the wildly dysfunctional Thrombey family is a suspect. Now Blanc must sift through a web of lies and red herrings to uncover the truth. Yeah, so your classic who done it. I really, really appreciated this movie. I saw it in theaters. Um, I, you know, I, I went to see it because of Chris Evans, who, who we talking about, but you know, I left being like, wow, like I really, really like Ryan Johnson. I knew I did because I loved the last Jedi, but like, damn, th- this is a guy who like, I get, and I feel like, um, I'm really a fan of his comedic timing, his writing, how thoughtful he can be. Um but I couldn't help but think on this rewatch of how dated the movie already is. So this came out in 2019 and you know some of the the jabs Ryan Johnson takes right to um you know to to be topical and to talk about the the state of affairs. Um his political commentary showing how um you know, the the false activism of the liberals uh and like the the immigration moments and all of the times where what's it Don Johnson's character, I can't remember his name, but when he said like immigrants, we get the job done, you know, like referencing Hamilton and um the fact that no one can remember where Marta's family is actually from. I loved that. And I remember in 2019 being like, yes, this is what I want to see in a movie. But watching it again in 2021, I was like, damn, man, things have changed so much in two years that like I want I want the sequels to go a little harder. And so I was wondering, um, this is a comedy. It's a whodunit. Does this movie do political commentary well for the time period for now or do you think that this is a genre that doesn't have a a home in
1: well sam i thought it was a really interesting choice for you because um we've had this discussion before about uh about comedy and about character within comedy and comedy that is character driven and yet abrasive in that sense which I know to be kind of a big turnoff for you in a lot of ways, as far as a lot of comedies go. So I, I, I initially found it interesting that this was your pick, although ultimately I think what turned me around was um, lar- largely like Marta and uh, Blanc's character and and how they are sort of like these sort of moral tent poles and what is otherwise sort of a like primordial soup of racism and xenophobia for, for comedy's sake. I think that 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 kind of concept in comedy can be handled well, and I think it's handled well here. I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's intentionally like cringeworthy and upsetting to see these characters sort of like wallow in, yeah, as we discussed this sort of like classism and racism and xenophobia, but um, setting them as an antagonistic backdrop versus the characters we're supposed to be focusing on who are definitely more well-intentioned and more open-minded makes for, makes for an an interesting garnish that I wouldn't expect you to be into, but I think, yeah, again, only, only highlights the strengths of the, the characters that stand by contrast to that. And I think that's communicated really well in the film.
0: That's so interesting, Dave. Like I never even, like, I wouldn't consider this movie a comedy, Um but you're right. It does. Really? Yeah, I guess I, you know, and see, like, that's where the my thoughts about comedy like really comes in, right? Like when I go, what, what I consider comedy is like a movie that's like straight up meant for that. And mm. I wouldn't say that the main purpose of Knives Out is comedy, but I definitely see mm. what... Talking about, but you're right. It's the relationship. I think what Ryan Johnson does so well all the time is he really likes duos, and so he likes to pair people up, and they build a relationship, and like a real like family connection. And that's all. That's always what I'm about, right? Family, what's up? And so you know we have that with Harlan and Marta at first, and then we get it with Blanc and Marta. Um,
1: well, it's with people. That aren't his family, which is interesting,
0: right? Especially,
1: but in a sense, obviously, because his family is so despicable.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, right. And you know that just goes to show you how important like found family can actually be, and like sometimes you can choose your family, and sometimes you should. So, any other thoughts about like the who done it comedy, but with like like a deeper message meaning?
3: I think. Like, I think in many ways, the movie I, I would consider it a comedy. I think it's pretty funny throughout, but I think it's within the genre fusion genre. I would associate with like Clue, like we talked about mm-hmm. elements of comedy. Uh, and it was great that you brought that up, Connor, watching those two movies back-to-back. Back. I think they're wonderful kindred spirits.
1: Yeah, what's the one line is uh, when they're when they're doing some looking, uh, when the investigators are looking into his home and like the whole situation is uh, this guy practically lived on a clue board.
3: Yeah. Oh, so there's a reference. I didn't even pick up on that. Great, uh, great detail, Dave. Yeah, I mean and I think they're like wonderful little nods and winks to classic detective stories, uh, but I think in many ways, it's sort of like a like a Trojan horse style movie where it's like you might come for the fast paced who done it, and then within that, actually the screenplay is picking apart the out like like class dynamic like as we talked about class dynamics, um, like like um, Marta's family um, being being immigrants and the horrific, uh, condescension, racism, you know, that she endures while working for this wealthy white family. Um, and I think that there are moments that, yeah, I think I agree with you, Sam, that feel, that feel dated in two different ways. One where it's like, wow, that feels so 2018. When did this movie come out? Like 2019. 18, 2019. Oh yeah. It's like, okay, this feels very of, you know, the Trump era. Um, and in many ways, it's like, oh my God, these are like hit talking points like that are sending me back. And then I think as you brought up as well, certain subject matter might be hopefully in the sequel a little bit in uh, more deeply investigated. Because sometimes I feel like, like the, yeah, the like the slurs that like an epithet, like basically the insults that they hurl at Marta are like it yeah, pretty, uh, not pretty. They're, they're intense and horrific. They're and very abrasive. Of, they're yeah. very abrasive and they're used at some points as sort of comic beats or uh, even though they're moments where it's like, okay, I can see how within in the energy of this scene He's proving a point, but I feel like if this some of this material was revisited, I don't know if it is right to have these, like, abuses towards Marta in, like, used in service of, like, the comedic moments for the family's character. Like, maybe I'd have to pick apart a couple moments, but I, I, I guess I'd be curious to see how the next iteration of this story will handle because it seems like he's he wants to get into it which is awesome um but uh, yeah i i there are moments where it's effectively cringy and maybe moments where marta like i want her to just i don't know have some moments of of fighting that yeah like well i'll I'll come up with some uh, specifics what like if i if i pick through it yeah
1: my only problem with that is that she can't Within the context of the story, she can't. She's, she's just been endowed with this inheritance with no explanation. She is surrounded by extremely bigoted and abusive people who have, who, whom she's been in the employ of for years. She's disoriented. She has a lot at stake in terms of her assuming herself to be responsible for his death and protecting her family who are undocumented immigrants. So therefore, if, if everything were to come to light, she'd be really exposed. So I think her hands are pretty tied And, like, I think her agency is pronounced in the third act largely through her acts of instinctual kindness within an entrapped situation.
3: And I guess it's that, I think, I, I, it's like I can see a character who has so many other facets, and it's the the lens through which we're viewing her is sort of, like, the lens of the family. And it's, like, I feel like the movie's responsibility is at least to, like, give a little bit more sort of rounded perspective because we get that right at the end when she has, a, has gotten all the entire inheritance and she's standing on the balcony, looking down at this family, sipping the, my, my coffee or my house, my coffee, my rules cup. Mm-hmm. And you can see this expression in her face and you wonder, and you can kind of see this recognition of like, fuck everyone. <laughs> this is like, I'm going to do something for me now. And I, I thought that was a wonderful note to end on. Um, but I kind of wanted some more moments of that earlier on in the movie. But I, I definitely get your point. Um,
1: yeah, I think it would stand It would stand at odds with the situation if that were her attitude or she was afforded those opportunities throughout. Because it is about her arriving there through... Uh, the reason the family unravels is because, uh, as far as their inheritance is concerned and the reason it goes to them is because they're shitty people and like, they will continue to be shitty up to the end. And it, it's basically to a degree, kind of a waiting game for her where like, eventually these people are gonna, you know, give them enough rope, they're gonna hang themselves because they're idiots and they're horrible. So her agency doesn't necessarily need to step in in that sense, in that way. But also it, it yeah, I think it functionally and as far as the storytelling wouldn't make sense if she were that, if she were afforded those bolder moments when there was so much scrutiny thrust upon her by the family when they had more power than they did at the end.
3: And you already have this element of her throwing up every time she tells a lie, so it's Which like- Which I
1: also hated the first time. And like, even starting at the second time, I was like, this is such a like chintzy, like, this is like a Wes Anderson-like character trope of just like, oh, it's like, I've been struck by lightning or I only have like five fingers or or three fingers on this one hand, or like just like one of those weird useless character quirks or one that is like so counter contrary to the the framework of a Who Done It that it's almost comical. But I think it returns at the end in a way that it does highlight her agency because she does overcome that in order to spoiler alert to suppress the news that uh Ransom is in fact a murderer to string him along. So like by the end I was sold on it, but initially yeah. I was like I don't know about this.
3: And and it's like he cleverly and Ryan Johnson uses it as a way as an essential device to
1: corner her. Yeah. To
3: to cor- corner her but then for the audience's perspective to reveal to to hide and then reveal essential information to keep it Keep it fresh mm-hmm. and keep it exciting, but yeah. But I think. But what's wonderful is like Anna de Armas. Her she she's such a great performer, and like I've really loved watching her. She was in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Like I, I just she's been in such vastly different movies, and she clearly is you know a a, a star to watch. Like I feel like she's like a, a rising star, and I think this movie. I think it's a. Yeah, it's a hard performance because she is portrayed as like sort of this perfect, loving, angelic character. But she she does she does ground it with with some 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 great facial expressions um, in a mo in it and emotional moments. Um, well, uh,
2: well, and I think that's what I enjoy a lot about her character is that she it'd be so easy to have her be this like perfect immigrant person who is just trying to live the American dream when she's just an ordinary fucking person who's wrapped up in this crazy family. Um, this family that, you know, you guys have talked a lot about Dave, you know, give them enough rope to hang themselves. You know, they're just such a whole bunch of idiots. And I think that's, she's just this odd coming into just like a normal person, kind of one of us in a way, you know, into the scenario. And I think it is a really difficult role to write a difficult role to perform. And I think she, nails it pretty perfectly for all the reasons that you guys have been bringing up in the past few minutes.
3: I I also loved your point Sam about um duos uh and like understanding how yeah, how Ryan Johnson sets up wonderful like pairs but also counterpoints and uh, he captures like family rivalry so well and like mm-hmm. um like, and he clearly also just loves, like, like detective partner dynamics that are so fun to make fun of. And so, yeah, I thought that was a great, that was a great point um, that you made about looking out for pairs and, and duos and people playing off one another. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like everybody involved in that movie was having a blast.
0: It, it really did. And actually, that's something film. I wanted to talk about. Um which is standout performances, you have an all-star cast. And Mm -hmm. I think that they are given things to do. Not everybody is given the same kind of space, right? You know, you have Jamie Lee Curtis in a movie and, you know, she doesn't have a ton of stuff to do, but you know who I am and what I'm going to say. I think chris evans really shines in this movie and i'm so happy that he had this opportunity to play a very different character and like Mm -hmm. as a fan of his it looks like he just had so much fucking fun and like that's what you want to see for someone that like you've been following for a long time is just like they're enjoying the work that they're doing and it just and you could see it right you could see that he's having fun and that's why the character is so fucking cool and good
2: and he doesn't even show up until like a third of the way through the movie or a quarter yeah. of the way, um, which is just, and he leaves such an impression. And him and, and Marta are such an interesting counterpoint. And that's such a great scene when the whole family, we talked about, you know, Marta gets this inheritance from Christopher Plummer and the whole family turns on her. It's a great scene of where she runs out of the house. And then it kind of turns to shaky cam and Ransom pulls up, who's just been an asshole the whole movie. Uh, level, you know, for the audience, a lovable asshole, but to his family, a true terror. And a black sheep, Um, and I think him and Marta are such an interesting pairing to kind of, and how he turns into the real antagonist of the film and turns against Marta.
1: It speaks to his strength as an actor. I mean, he can play. We've seen him play likable so many times, and he does a great job. Uh, He does an equally great job here. He's he's a despicable character here who is really underhanded and very calculating. He is kind of like on par with his uh, his. Like grandfather of the patriarch of the family, Harlan, who is like always like a few steps ahead and is kind of a mastermind. But yeah, portrays it with such a casual and like flippant callousness that is so magnetic and entertaining. I mean, he's a it's 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 the kind of comedy that I'm really drawn to, is characters that are very shitty and enjoyable for their shittiness, because he's he's really doing a great job with that kind of material here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the scene where um, Ransom and Marta are in her car and they're just like racing. I think that that is one of the funniest scenes. Like I i was laughing out loud in the theater. And, you know, like you said, he's a lovable asshole and you do feel like he's on your team the whole time. And, you know, that's something else I think that Ryan Johnson did really well is that the entire movie, we knew who did it right like we knew the situation with Marta and Connor you mentioned that Chris Evans didn't show up until halfway through I if someone gets second billing and they don't show up ha- until halfway through, you know they did it right like you you know you know that's why they're being I busy.
1: did feel like I knew that he did well, it well, and the like, beyond the we know who who we established, Thought did it and so on. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting take on the Who Done It, and
3: that's. Oh, that's because... I didn't know who did it. I really? was okay. so. I mean, and I had already seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you
2: have the dogs barking at him, right? Is is the very first thing we're ever introduced to this character that animals don't like him, right away? For me, that was like a red flag that something's mm-hmm. up with this guy, which I think is Ryan Johnson. It's like a fun, him having fun with like character tropes and audience expectations and expectations of this genre uh, which is why it's so interesting that knives out kind of oscillates between what kind of movie it is um it's i remember i guess the trailer selling it as this kind of classic *Who Done It*, but christine you brought the idea of like a trojan horse movie um of where it does you know you figure out that oh marta thinks that she killed christopher Plummer, but when it turns out it's so much more complicated than that and then it turns into I think two other kind of types of movies, um, which is just a real a real joy to watch because I think nowadays the standard, who killed the murderer? One of these 10 people is just like not, it's just been done to death. Um, and so I think this is like a great 21st century approach to doing like to kind of reviving a murder mystery story.
3: And the production design is so great. Um, mm-hmm. Like that house, Everything. I love, um, I looked up the production designer and then of course I lost it. Oh, David, David crank. And yeah, like was talking about how they found the house in Massachusetts and where they like found the knife, uh, backdrop. Uh, there were some things
1: that I found a little gratuitous in that sense, like the spiral of knives. I was kind of like thinking to myself, like, am I watching Suicide Squad right now? <laughs> or like the sort of like the sort of like ga- garish uh, decor of the house. It's just, just like this it, it, is like if Wes Anderson was handling a Tim Burton script, like just I, certain stylizations there. I was just like, these I are suppose. functional, but I feel like they're a little bit derivative
3: But I think that was the point, like, I think everything that from the characters to the progression of the, of the story, it's like, as Connor said, this is like story that's been told a thousand times. So by like leaning into the derivative nature of the set design of the like character archetypes and tropes, like, I think he's just like, this is a genre I love and i and i'm also going to make fun of it at the same time and why not have like a chekhov's you know fake versus real knife setup why you know why not
1: yeah it's i mean you're like, not wrong it's definitely like it's it, it it further establishes the self-awareness of its it's kind of like genre parody elements
2: i was just going to say i think what sells this whole thing too is that ransom says well this is our ancestral birthright and then Daniel Craig says, no, your dad bought this from a, like a Pakistani family in the 1980s. <laughs> like this is not because that's how the family sees themselves as this myth. I mean, the I, I get Game of Thrones, Iron Throne vibes from that knife chair. Of, like they think that they're this, you know, the Targaryens, this royal family that they deserve. That this is their birthright and that this immigrant has stole from them when like, no, this is an immigrant family owned this house before the thrombies. And so I think that line really helps solidify why things look the way they do and how the family views, you know, the items of that house.
3: Yeah. And there's nothing subtle about this movie. I feel like it, it loves to present everything up front, whether it's these, these dynamic, larger than life, horrible characters or yeah, this house filled with stuff and you could tell like even cuts to different scenes, there's so many cuts that it's characters talking, something revealed, cut to statue, cut to the knife throne. cut uh-huh. to a painting. And so it's like the sets, the props, they're all Nana cut to Nana. She's basically a statue sitting in the corner, the all seeing, you know, d- like prop in the corner. And so I think everything is like kind of in your face in a, in a sort of very wonderfully uh, explicit way.
2: <laughs> One interesting thing that I was reading about the production design is that I believe that uh, we cut to a few times this painting of Christopher Plummer and his like facial expression kind of changes depending on, you know, Marta's situation. And that was apparently- a young Frankenstein. These- <laughs> yes. And apparently that painting was green screen during production. So they could go into these different moments and it could change as it goes throughout, which I think also adds to this sort of heightened sense of the house. I thought that was an interesting choice.
3: I would love to create a butter with that gallery. We already have two paintings or two works of art, which I'm sure you might guess. Darcy painting (laughs) number one. Statue Darcy, and then Christopher Plummer in Knives Out Painting. So that our collection is already three. (laughs) That painting is so heinous. Every time they cut to it, I was like, oh.
0: But, you know, like, and and even this point makes me think, like, what was it like on set? Because, you know, when the the police are um, interviewing, what's the actual word?
1: interrogating
0: thank you interrogating jesus christ i guess Uh, it is
1: more of an interview actually at that point but yeah
0: when they're doing the interrogative interview, I love that you see the same scene so many times, but told with different characters in different places and different emphasis on different actions. And so, like, God, what must that have been like? Like, okay, Jamie Lee Curtis and Don Johnson. Now's your time. Okay, leave. And then now you two go in, Tony Collette and you guys go in. So I just, I just wonder what that was like. And um, I I pulled a review that I think really really gets to the heart of why i love this movie so much so this comes from indie wire it says johnson has devised a murder mystery that's eager to defy your expectations but unwilling to betray your trust and i i think that's exactly it and you know he's he's playing around with the genre but ultimately he wants you to have fun and he wants you to be in on on who did it I still keep it a little bit of a mystery but Unlike Game of Thrones and unlike fucking Endgame, you know, there's no like real curveballs at the end. And
1: well, it's interesting you say that because like I like I said before, I did feel like as soon as Ransom was introduced, that being Chris Evans' character, it was pretty clear that it, it had already established like the who'd done it in the sense of like Marta thought that she was responsible for this and was therefore trying to like cover things up and cover her tracks. And I did think as soon as Ransom was introduced, like obviously Ransom is going to be the one that has somehow orchestrated this. But I couldn't have, for the life of me, guessed the details that come together to to make that work, which makes for some really creative and really thoughtful and really inventive uh, screenwriting on Johnson's part.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny. um, uh, On TikTok, for some reason, like algorithms, whatever, whatever, but it knew that I was talking about knives out this week and it started showing me like knives out videos (laughs) and one was like details you might have missed and um some of the details of how you knew it was ransom and one when they're in ransom's home um you can see like a collection of like big jugs um like like beer jugs and one is missing and that's the one he used to light the um the whatever but i can't think today the whatever place the
1: laundromat on fire yeah
0: the, uh, no, the the place where the medical records are. Oh, Wait, right,
1: right, the uh The, the police tax uh, report blocker, place. Whatever,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever that place is to light that on fire. And, you know, like right there, and when we see all the mail that he's dealing with, you know that he was the one to put the letter and the money in the mail um for, for Blanc. So I, yeah, I, I think that there are really small ways for us to pick up that it was ransom, other than the fact that the second bill comes in halfway through the movie. <laughs> So I love this movie. I love it. I think Ryan Johnson's a great director. I think it was incredibly original. Um, But I would love to hear, as we kind of wrap this up, um, if there was any, like, standout performance or standout scene that you really wanted to talk about or you thought was cool.
2: We have yet to mention Daniel Craig's performance. Right, yeah. Which is... um, What is it? The last of the gentleman
1: sleuths.
3: Yeah. It's it's a line that Tony Collette says. She says, I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you, the last gentleman sleuth. And I loved that little. That's detail. all you
2: need to know about her. Car- like, what a great line. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know exactly who she is.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and That's I She's just- a- great, too. But, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to like, we could probably spend three hours talking about how wonderful this cast is, but I really thought that he, that, you know, Daniel, I mean, he's Daniel Craig, you know, he's, you think that he can kind of be the star of the movie, but he really is this bumbling idiot, which I think is sort of as the audience learns how kind of bumbling and ineffectual he is like Marta star kind of starts to rise. Cause he doesn't do a whole lot. I don't think to like actually solve the thing. Well, I don't know that he's bumbling or necessarily,
1: he's like, I think he's appropriately restrained because he knows, you know, like like we said, these characters, at least with the exception of Marta are so shitty that they'll give themselves away at some point. That's their nature. So I think he's just kind of like tenting his fingers and waiting it out Mm -hmm. as opposed to, especially contrast with the, uh, with the Keith Stanfield. And um, I forget the other actor's name, but they're the actual like detectives assigned to the case who are, or perhaps maybe a little more bungling in their investigation because they're trying to get right to the core of this thing, whereas Craig allows the situation to tease itself out before he's the one that ultimately unravels what's going on.
0: Yeah, maybe i like
2: giving him enough credit.
0: Yeah, and Block <laughs> cool. solves the mystery immediately. As soon as he interviews Marta, he, he and you see it, when I was re-watching it, I was like, did they actually include it? And there's a moment where he looks down as soon as he meets Marta, sees her shoes. Oh, and the like,
1: shoes, yeah. He yeah, did yeah. it.
3: Yeah, I, I sort of saw the his persona as him as as a guise so that he could sort of infiltrate this family, but at the same time have them dismiss him as a bumbling idiot. Like yeah. I sort of saw that as his intentional approach to sort of be like figuring things out and all the while, yeah, being dismissed as uh, a guy who can't do his job or is focused on donuts
1: and donut holes yeah as they're dealing with like the actual police lakeith like stanfield and this other guy they're like a, the family is like a good deal more reserved and a little bit more like like conventional expressions of like witness testimony and stuff but like every time uh dana craig w- weighs in they're just sort of like and who the hell is this guy like what is it csi kfc and like stuff like that <laughs> yeah. so like yeah i think you're onto something that maybe it is a bit of like you know it, it ties into a sleuth thing where it's like he's you know he's able to put on a facade up until he receives enough information to reveal himself as someone who has connected all the dots and you know strung the whole thing together.
3: And I think the audience is also treated as an entity to hide things from. So it's like the scene where he's in the car listening to his iPod and like <laughs> just completely oblit like seemingly oblivious to what's going on. I think Ryan treats us as like also sort of dismissive uh, viewers of things that are unfolding and will sort of write him off as like not doing his job effectively in order for the final reveal to be more exciting. Oh, he, you know, he had it the whole time. I, yeah, the persona is funny. It's having watched Logan Lucky and this movie within the span of like six weeks, that friggin' accent. <laughs> I, I um, that. So Ryan Johnson is very active on
0: Twitter, and someone had <laughs> tweeted him like, "Okay, the sequels—it's Daniel Craig, but a different accent every movie." And Ryan Johnson was
3: like, "I thought about it. <laughs> so- <laughs> oh my god, he might as well because it's like <laughs> it's
2: so bad. That'd be kind of great." Oh my God. I, I really love how he, how the movie turns him against Marta. And we think that that's kind of the direction it's going in. I think that's a really clever turn mm-hmm. of like, Oh, we really love Marta. We love the, you know, Blanc. And then it's like, Oh wait, is he actually like our antagonist in this movie as like, cause we want Marta to like not go to prison. Um, so I thought that was also a really clever turn too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Craig, cr- incredible performance. Chris Evans also.
2: That sweater. I got to add, as always,
1: Michael Shannon. I love Michael Shannon in anything. And he's fantastic in this. It's just sort of like this uh, sort of like sidelined, like Fredo kind of character.
3: And, the and how shitty to- his
1: son and wife are and everything. Um,
3: and his de- <laughs> the decision to put him in a boot, like in a like broken leg boot <laughs> was kind Which of so interesting. Which is so
1: great because, like, yeah, it removes him of some of his like... I mean, Michael Shannon is a pretty menacing guy, but yeah, that kind of takes him down a peg. Also like the limp and like he's walking with the cane, which becomes so dramatic when he's confronting Marta in that one scene as an escalation of tension. So like, yeah, I mean, Michael Shannon, you can do no wrong with me for him. I'm always thrilled to see him in anything. Although I do think everybody did a good job in this movie.
3: Um, I wish I could remember an interview I was reading or something, maybe I'll follow up. On the thread later, but it was a it was an actor talking about how and I don't think it was related to it wasn't related to nights Out it was related to something unrelated like a movie that is not this uh but it was like an actor talking about what a good guy Ryan Johnson is and like how he's a great person to work with and I like I. I don't know how, like, you can't tell that about celebrity. Like, I feel, you know how sometimes you feel like you know celebrities, but you're like, well, then again, at the end of the day, I don't know anything about a person I don't know. But I feel like because every performer brings just their A game, I can, like, I can get a sense that, like, it was probably a really fun production to be a part of. And, like, I can I can get a sense that he's probably, a like, a fun guy to be on a project with.
1: Um, he seems to be someone who can wrangle actors very well.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. So I can't let this discussion go without mentioning my favorite scene, which is at the very end when we do get confirmation that Ransom is responsible for this. And when uh, Chris Evans says, in for a penny, in for a pound, and he takes the what we later learn is a fake knife, and he tries to kill Marta. But like that happens right after Marta... <laughs> vomit projectile vomits on him so you have Chris just covered in vomit and then he goes to kill her and doesn't and there's that one moment where the squeaky knife goes arr, arr, into Marta and you're like oh uh-oh. um
3: I and he just kind of love- laughs
1: to himself and just <laughs> shit and yeah. then just dragged
3: say away this isn't a comedy that is comedy gold <laughs> I know but it doesn't
0: I, I know I have a very complicated relationship with what I think is comedy I get it I know
3: <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a, say, it's a wonderful scene. Yeah. There's
1: also like two lines, Sam, that come to me, come to mind that like further illustrate why this movie is so, so established to be written as like a, a, a comedy screenplay. It's like <laughs> during the argument, it's like Michael Shannon line right before we cut away. It's just like, what is it? Ransom telling everybody in the family, eat shit, eat shit eat shit, eat shit, which apparently was going to be like, go fuck yourself, but they scaled it back for the PG-13. And it was actually Chris Evans that suggested eat shit in his place. But we hear just before it cuts away, Michael Shannon just shouting, I will not eat one iota of shit. <laughs> <laughs> or like there's another line too when they're, when um when Blanc is talking with Marta about just like the kind of like unraveling crazy nature of how involved this whole thing has become and how like almost like novel it has become. He, he mentions like, uh, the book Gravity's Rainbow, and she says in response, I haven't read it. And he responds, well, nobody has. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because it's such a difficult book to read. Uh, and I've tried to read it so many times and it's just like th- those little jabs and those little jokes really resonate. I, I think it's very, it-, it wears this comedic overtones on its sleeve and-, and sews them into a story that has a very dramatic tension and style, but in a way that diffuses some of that,
2: in a way that makes this a particularly unique whodunit. I'm really curious to see what the sequel is going to look like because the bar has been set so high, both critically, financially. Um, <coughs> and so I also would just love to see Marta team up with Blanc again. Like I thought uh, Darmus and Craig had such good chemistry. I know she's not going to be in the sequel, um, but I don't know. So very high expectations for me for Knives Out 2. So I really hope Brian Johnson can deliver. And I think he can. He can. Yeah.
0: One last question I have for you folks. So when we talked about Clue, we talked about how it was a flop. Is is this the right time, do you think? If Clue came out now, do you think it would have been
3: as successful as Knives Out? Or was... I don't think Clue is as, like, punchy as Knives Out. Like, mm-hmm. I think Knives Out's pacing wants you to just, like... It just picks you up and you're like, okay, we're going to – things are going to be coming at you really fast. I feel like Clue, there's so much physical comedy, but it's – things don't unfold as fast as they do in Knives Out.
1: I'd agree. It requires like a different amount of patience that modern audiences probably aren't up to the task for in some ways.
3: Watch if Madeline Kahn was cast in Knives Out. I don't even want to, I mean, I do want to know, but don't want to know how amazing it would be and how much of comedic gold would be formed on set. God, so then when was Clues, when was its time? Was it just... I think I it's, uh, it's like a fine cheese, you know, it just ages well with time.
1: When they come out, that was mid-80s, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Could have done with maybe like 1992, 93, I'll bet. I'll bet once we had like some of that like slower burn comedy under our belt, mm-hmm. then we might've been able to handle it then in that pocket. Because I think that's when it's like, kind of like cult fandom really took off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Although that being said, I don't think that's, you know, that's not an issue with this movie. I think it was rolled out very successfully and caught a lot of people's attention and has a very, uh, has a real acuity to bringing the kind of like depth and fun of a story like Clue to modern audiences with a familiar modern pacing.
2: Well, and I mean, this movie was just in theaters forever and then home, you know, all these video home video platforms. I mean, I would not be surprised if this made close to half a billion dollars. When it was all yeah. said and done before you you know think about marketing.
0: Yeah, this was a great movie. Uh I think Ryan Johnson's the man and Chris Evans, I love you for the rest of my life forever. Um <laughs> so that's knives out, everybody. Any final words before we wrap
3: this puppy up?
2: Uh, that was some pretty good fake vomit.
3: <laughs> it was like corn and peas.
2: And they it and was, they and they with-
3: some corn in there.
2: And they withheld showing the full until the very end. That's true. And I also really like that like in the moment where it cuts
1: away where he, where he's covered in vomit, she takes the moment to like, you know, wipe her wipe her mouth off. So like when it comes back to her she's clean and he's still covered in vomit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you, know,
1: you know, very you know, kind of overt symbolism there.
2: And there's a great detail too when he kind of you know, whisks her away from the from the family. They're at a restaurant and he gets a second bowl. Preparing for so there's like second, like rewatching mm. so many great little details, uh, like him getting the second bowl at the restaurant. There's just a lot of great moments that make this movie worth rewatching two or three times.
3: Was this cl- yeah. uh, Chris Plum's last movie?
1: I will, Google. I don't think so. I think there was one or two more after this. Yeah, oh,
3: yeah, I don't
0: think
1: this, but will... rest in peace.
3: Yeah, it you know, great. Uh, yeah. yeah. it's funny he he's he was 90 when he filmed it and the actress that played nana was 84
0: (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah i loved his relationship with jamie lee curtis i thought that was really cool too like we don't get to see a lot of it but you could tell that there was actually like real love there
2: christopher Plummer had two more movies after knives out
0: damn he
2: was ones i did not names i did not recognize
0: um I think that this movie has forever cemented the um, teenage Nazi masturbating in the bathroom. What did he hear? You know, (laughs) I will think about that for a very long time. So that's Knives Out, everybody. Um, Please keep your eye on Ryan Johnson. I think that he's going to do a lot of really great work in the future. So... That's it. Um, follow us on all of our social media. Um, send us an email at butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're Butter With That Podcast on Instagram, Butter With That One on <laughs> Twitter. Um, so just talk to us. Tell us, did you like Knives Out? Um, when was Clues' right time? Was it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But other than that, folks, Christine, what did you say last time? Have a good whatever.
1: <laughs> and get ready to fall in love with our upcoming theme.
2: Da, 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 da. <laughs>
0: All right. Have a good whatever.
2: Bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.